This is Back Talk by Successful Black Parenting Magazine, the most listened to podcast for parents by parents. Hey there, everyone, and thank you for listening to Back Talk by Successful Black Parenting Magazine, the podcast talk show for parents. I'm Janice Robinson Celeste, your host and publisher of Successful Black Parenting Magazine. We were in Atlanta last week, but the show is back in L.A., now broadcasting live as we normally do. I want to tell you to tell all of your friends and followers about the show right now. Go to our Facebook page for Successful Black Parenting and share the link with your followers. Let people know that you are joining us. You can comment on Facebook and I will post the best comments live on air and know that our hashtag for the show is hashtag backtalk, hashtag backtalk. So please share it with all of your family, friends and followers. My guest today is Dr. Carl James. He is a professor at York University in Toronto, where he chairs the community and diaspora department. Some of his books include Black Youth, Racism, and Career Explorations in the Big City, and Seeing Ourselves Exploring Race, Ethnicity, Identity, I'm sorry, Ethnicity and Identity. He also co-wrote the guidelines for the engaged parent navigating the school system for Black student success, which is why I wanted him on the show, because, you know, it's, we're back to school now. And this is so important. And that's what we're about, success, being successful Black Parenting Magazine. So welcome, Dr. James. How are you today? Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Thanks for inviting me on your show. I'm doing well today. Great. Can you please tell our audience the catalyst for these guidelines for Black student success? And I should back up and say they were originally written for Toronto, but you can actually apply them anywhere pretty much where you have Black students. But what was the catalyst for these guidelines? How did it come about? Um, for a number of years now, we have been talking about and thinking about the situation of Black students in the Toronto District School Board and all of Toronto schools. And we thought that that we would go out and talk to uh, uh, Black parents and community members. So we did that about two years ago, three years ago. We went uh, throughout the community in southern uh, southern Ontario, in Toronto and the surrounding areas. We talked to community members, to parents, to students, etc. <clears throat> and we heard from them about what they were dealing with in terms of trying to be successful parents and successful community members and successful students within these schools. And so we wrote them, we wrote them down, we wrote up a report, and then we thought the next step we should do is go and talk with the parents only and, and talk to teachers and try to come up with some kind of guidelines. So how can parents and how should parents think about their work with teachers and with schools. So <clears throat> those guidelines came out of having worked all these years trying to think through how parents might break through and do and be successful with their work in the school boards. And that's what uh, that's the genesis of the, the work and the report and the, the statements. Well, it's needed, as we all know. But one of the things that really caught my attention is that these guidelines uh, aren't just for, you know, students in general. It's for each grade level. So it's very specific. 
And, you know, I don't think you could have really done it any other way since each age group has, a, has their own specific needs. Um, but you may, there's a statement that goes across a lot of the guidelines and it says you are your child's first teacher and will continue to be for the rest of their lives. And that's important. But can you explain to our audience what you meant by that? Uh, I, I think, you know, from the very early in life, uh, we uh, go out and we do the work with our kids. And I, I want to think that no matter at what age, even at age 40, and as long as you're a parent, you're still going to be uh, the parent of that child. And the foundation that we set very early in those child's years also lasts throughout their lives. So it's uh, that's what we mean for the rest of their lives. It's never, it's never ended. And, you know, no matter what, parents always come back to that early years with their parents and the education that the parents gave them and the kinds of network and partnership parents built with different institutions, not with schools, with their churches, with all these other organizations. And so it's, it's, we have to see ourselves as parents really doing the job of setting them up. And, you know, ever so often they're going to come back with questions of, what did you do? Why didn't you do such a thing? And we ourselves as parents will think of, I should have, you, you know. Uh, so it's one of those things that we never get over as parents. Right. It's, you're absolutely right. And, you know, I always say that you're your child's primary teacher and that the school teacher is there to support you. And when I say it in that way, I've seen a lot of parents wake up. Um, in, in my different conferences that I speak to, to um, different parents of, for children of different ages. But if you, I look at it as we're the primary teacher. And if you kind of take that perspective, you know, there's a lot you need to teach your child outside of school, including, and I, I saw this in the guidelines somewhere too, African-American history, because it's not taught well at all in any of the schools. What do you think about that? I, I, I absolutely, totally agree. And and to say that we relinquish that job to the person who is in that classroom, uh, in that school, uh, is, is not something we do. And so that's why I always think relationship with those teachers is absolutely critical. And the teachers have to think that. I always say to teachers, when you're sitting, you're teaching that child in front of you, you're also teaching and working with and having some interaction with the parents, wherever those parents are, and other family members, and the coaches, and all those other people. And so the parents become the primary person with whom we are interacting. And, you know, in research I did last year, uh, when we think, when I was thinking of students being engaged, and I talked to a group of middle school students, <clears throat> and they were all males, uh, about nine of them, and they were sitting around. And they talked about uh, they liked the teacher because the teacher, because their parents liked the teacher. And that relationship, that kid looked at how that teacher develops a relationship with his mom. And from that, he said, okay, she's okay as a teacher. So we give students those kinds of uh, permission. We, we might not think about it, but we give students and our children permission to also build relationships with those teachers. And the kinds of relationships they build with those teachers have something to do with what we say or not say 
or whether the teachers are in touch with us or how the teacher talked to us or not talked to us, all those kinds of things uh, is very significant. So we are always very, very present, no matter what, as parents in the students' lives. Uh, again, I, I also talked to a student. He was going from middle school to high school. And of course, he had his whole program planned of where he wanted to go um, because he wanted to go to a school that was an athletic school. And then so he went and his mom said, uh, no, you're not going to that school. And he, of course, he argued with his parents saying that he, the school that he would want to go. And she, this parent wanted him to go to a school that his older siblings had gone to, including his older sister. And so he argued with his parents and she said, no, I say, you know, and the fact that, and he was, he said, okay, I, she laid down the rules, so I have to follow. Yes, I disagree, he said, but uh, she's my mom. Right, right. And, it, you know, as children become teens, um, we still teach, like you said, we're the primary teacher, but we also take on more of a role of a guidance counselor, guiding them which way we think will help them to become more successful. So our role evolves. And then, of course, when they become adults, there's a whole another type of evolution that happens once again. But you're right. Your moms, dads, parents, the guardians are there to at that stage of their lives as teens to guide them to the right direction. And they need you to do that because without it, they're lost. You, you know, you have children don't know what they want to be when they grow up still. I was one of those kids, but I also didn't have someone to, at the time, to guide me to different um, types of careers, to experience a little bit of this, a little bit of that, to see what I wanted to do. And I was labeled the kid that never finished anything because I wanted to experience so much in such a little time to see what I like. Um, so just keep that in mind, parents, that as you are dealing with your teens, I just want to say that, that let them try a little bit of everything so they can figure out what it is they want to do in life. It took me to my thirties almost to figure out that I was a natural teacher. <laughs> I, 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 I totally agree with that point that we need to expose students and young people and our children to a lots of different things. And, and so one of the things I sometimes become anxious about as a parent, and we always want, what do you want to do when you grow up? And mm child tells us what he or she wants to do when we grow up, we try to expose them to that area, to that. And I always say, yes, that's what they say, and we expose them to that a bit. But at the same time, you should subtly introduce all those other things, not so totally unrelated, but somewhat related, and until so that they're able to see other things. Because too often, if, we, if, the, if the ideas are too narrow, and, and sooner or later, because they're growing, to decide if you want to be a, something at age 12 without knowing all the possibilities of other things, I, I think it's early. So we need to also, yes, if that's the one they, that child says he or she wants to do, yes, encourage that. At the same time, it should give you a signal to also think of other things that might be worth exposing the child to. And and gradually see how they might uh, uh, take that on. Because what you don't want uh, after a while, after the child goes through all these things and say, yeah, they only did it. And this happens all the time. They only went that route because of their parents, because that's what the parents directed them. 
and the parents will say, yeah, that's what you say you wanted to do, <laughs> which, which is, but, but so there's always these, you know, uh, we always have these issues of when to simply push, when to hold back, and when to provide the, the, the larger kind of context. So we, we are, we're never quite sure, but it's always useful to uh, to take a front seat, uh, lead sometimes, uh, go, uh, reverse, go back, and sometimes allow the child to lead, but not letting them go to just simply flounder sometimes. And sometimes, as parents, we always wonder, uh, should the child fail in order to learn? Or should we allow the child to go into particular, uh, because they say they want to do that? And are we knowing as parents the consequences of them doing that? Should we really allow them so that because that consequence will probably help us help them better? Or should we hold back? And parents are always not sure sometimes because we we are very uneasy sometimes if our children go in the path where we know they could learn, but at the same time, the consequence could be, uh, you don't know what the consequences be and what's the implication of those consequences and how that consequence could be quite detrimental to their future. So we're constantly playing these role. And, and so we parents have to be encouraged to think through all these kind of things. And at the same time, uh, we we must give the children space. And, you, you know, there's sometimes we, we call, we have different kinds of parents, the helicopter parents and all those other kinds of parents. And, and sometimes, sometimes that's useful. And sometimes it's useful to back off. Right. You've just so many things that I, I want to talk about a little bit. Yeah. Um, you know, first of all, how do they know what they're going to want to be when they're 12 or, you know, and you could think about some of your students that you teach there, like how many times have they changed their majors, you know, <laughs> so you can be an adult and still not know. And then uh, the, uh, you know, helicopter parenting, you know, there are times that we need to do that, especially as black parents, because our children aren't safe out in the world. So to be a helicopter parent, I'm not faulting anybody that, that is doing that right now, because the world is so unsafe, especially for black children um, these days. But I also want to just kind of talk a little bit about that failure, because in business, business people fail all the time. So yes. the thing is, if, if it's going to be detrimental to the child or not, because they're so young, can they handle it? But in business, I mean, I can't tell you there's stories of uh, people, you know, the, the colonel from KFC. I think he failed 56 times or something like that. And uh, you go on and on. You'll see that. I think they said Thomas Edison failed over a thousand times before he got the light bulb. So failure is a learning step. Um, but if we teach our children that, uh, if you fail, you know, this is a step. What did you learn from it and move on from there? But also if we're going to allow them to fail to make sure they can handle it. So I think those are excellent, excellent uh, words of advice. Now, let's just go back to the guidelines a little bit. I'm calling them guidelines. I'm not sure they're there with their information. She's the guidelines, but they're pretty much, you know, they still have guidelines in them. So but guidelines that you that, that you did include so each one, I think, includes a section on things to do at home, which is absolutely perfect. Um you know, what are some of the things that parents can do at home for to help their elementary school children? For me, uh, one, one of the things is paying attention to how the child learns and how the child might think through ideas. Because sometimes, you know, remember the teachers teaching 10, 20, 30 students having those in the classes. 
and and you have that one child and you know the child better than the teacher. So sometimes when we pay attention to how the child writes, how the how how the child pays pays attention to how he or she might add and subtract. You know, constantly inviting the child, not necessarily to think of the answer as right, but also think of how he help him or her explain the answer, how he arrives or she arrives at the answer. So some so some of those conversations, some of the ways, in, uh, and, you know, math is always one of those things that I always come back come back to and you know you know some some children might be very good at sport and but they might not think of how every day everything they do every day is math and science etc cetera, etc cetera. so even as parents then we have to make explicit some of those implicit behaviors and implicit thinking and implicit ideas that the child might just simply take for granted and show how they can be math and science and show how that child might be articulating particular kinds of ideas that the teacher might just simply, the child doesn't know. But, you know, when as a parent, you're seeing how much that idea is so rich. And I always think that we think of theory as this, abstract idea. But children are also using theories, especially that child, thinking about how what playing with a ball and thinking about what is possible with this ball. And the child will sit there and do certain kinds of things with the ball. And so so those become explicit teaching moments, I would think. So at all levels of that child at home uh, doing these kinds of work is absolutely important, especially the child building relationship with, with parents and with other children. I, I think those are things that we can do with, with when the child's at home or before the child goes to school and while the child is in school. <clears throat> okay. Well, you also had some suggestions at each one about what to do specifically before and during the first day of school and also during the school year. But since we've already gotten through the first day of school and, you know, earlier, what should parents be doing right now? The parents should be trying to, to find out how comfortable the child is right now <clears throat> with school. After all, it's one, two, three weeks of school. The parents should be checking in regularly right now to find out about how the child is feeling in school. And I always think that uh, teachers relationship with students is pivotal and important. So we should be checking in with the child to find out about his or her relationship with the teacher. And also we should be talking with the teacher. We should be finding out who the teacher is in order to be able to build those relationships with the teacher. Let the teacher know who you are as as a parent, because that's absolutely important. And because this uh, early years set the foundation for the the uh, the years that that child is going to have with that teacher. <clears throat> okay, and as a former teacher, I totally approve that message <laughs> because I got to tell you, there were so many um, parents that didn't show up for open house night or open school night, whatever your school calls it, and the ones that did, I. I ended up having a great relationship with, you know, um, but the thing is I reached out to the parents who did not come 
And because we had Apple computers, I you know offered to be able to meet with them on a regular basis if they were busy through FaceTime or through Skype. So don't be afraid to reach out to your teacher and say, hey, I can't come to this meeting, but I would I love to Skype with you on a regular basis about my child. Um, you'll be surprised how many will say yes. The ones that don't usually don't have school computers because they don't want to give out their personal number, which is totally understandable. But you can reach out in different ways. Yeah, go ahead. Sometimes I would, yes, the teacher might say uh, that might provide a time to, to meet the teacher. But sometimes I would say, I'm busy. Could I come at lunchtime? And I think mm-hmm. those, those that, and of course, the teacher is accommodating, which the teacher should be, uh, the teacher would pro- probably make that time available as well. And you don't apologize for having to do that, but at the same time, you're, you're saying, you're having the teacher re- recognize that we, we are co-teaching this child, and therefore, I want to work with you in doing so. Right. We're, we're running shorter in time, but I do want to get these issues in because they're so good and so pivotal to what we uh, promote in our mission. But the guidelines also mention behavioral issues and suspensions and teacher biases. We have to touch on that. Can you talk about that a bit? Yes. <clears throat> you know, I always think that teach, when we see a group of students in our class, we make certain assumptions about this group uh, of students, and some of those assumptions come out of what the society tells us about our child. And some of those assumptions of the children have to do with what we think of the neighborhoods in which the student reside. And if teachers have never walked through the neighborhood and only deal with or think of the student in relation to what the television says or something like that, Therefore, the teachers lack in that kind of information. So I always think that paying attention, going beyond just simply these these general ideas, but getting to know the students would be important. Uh, uh, Yes, you were, the point again was trying to connect with the student and the the biases, right? Uh Correct. And so it's it's those assumptions that we don't have any other information about that those people will inform particular biases. I also think sometimes, you know, if teachers are not aware of some commun- of some children and the communities, that child comes to represent everything the teacher wants to think about the, that community of people. And sometimes that's not very good. So sometimes it's kind of nice if the child have other children like themselves in the class, the class, so the teacher doesn't pigeonhole the child because the teacher must always think of the diversity of that community, the diversity of that group of people that he or she is working with. And therefore, we, we have to, the teacher needs to offset any of those biases that they might have with the child. We're not going to be able to avoid them, avoid them, but at the same time, we can think about where do they come from and how should we avoid using them when the child doesn't fit those, some of those assumptions that we hold. Okay. Now, what is the most crucial piece of advice that you can give the Black parents to help their children succeed in school? I always think that, first of all, you know, it's race matters. As a, as a as a group of, of young people I interviewed many years, uh, some years ago, and they were living in the suburbs, they were, and they had been thinking that, yes, we, and many of those suburban areas tended to be white. And they said, 
race matters, you know, in, in terms of how the police de- dealt with that, how teachers saw us, etc. So uh, as a black parent then, we have to start thinking, how do we, also, you know, we always talk of black parents as having their conversation with our children and how that conversation and how that conversation evolves. So, so we have to challenge the assumption that the child might, might not be good in particular areas. We have to challenge the racism that they, and the anti-black racism that the students might experience. We, we have to do. So we're going to have to have those conversations. But conversations in a way not to undermine the individuality of the child and not to scare the child, but to bring the child into a recognition of how might they identify those things and not, just, and not be and not be hampered by those things because we want to bring, build healthy, confident children. And the other, one of the other things I think it's significant here, sometimes it's the confidence that the child has. Sometimes it's, it's the first thing that we need to establish because that confidence will allow the child to think, I can do things, I can go places, I can talk to to this teacher, I can challenge the teacher, I can challenge anyone who does. So we're going to have to nurture the confidence very early of the child. And I always tell parents, if the child doesn't talk back to you, who else is he going to, he or she going to experiment with? How how you respond to and help that child develop that confidence. And that confidence comes from how the child is able to talk back or not talk back. Uh, how we shut down the conversation. It's absolutely important. So I think those foundational things. And every time the child is going to challenge us and our authority, yes. But uh, as the challenge is to how do we nicely and in a nurturing way enable them to also challenge, but at the same time understand we play different roles and nurturing roles with each other. Well, that was an eye opener because, you know, I've seen some children challenge their parents and it didn't go so well. So I think that was great advice right there. Also, one of the other things, too, we have to think of what we learn from our children and also mm-hmm. them know they're also teaching us because not to, the, the idea is that children are not just just simply blank slates into which we are information. Children have ideas, no matter how 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 young or uh, so. And therefore, if we start thinking of them teaching us and, and tell them when they taught us a point. You know, I remember going into a grade eight class and I sat with them and I talked with them and I, at the end of the class, I said, thanks very much for everything I learned from you. And they were shocked. They were thinking, well, could we have taught you anything? And And so I had to show them what I learned from them that I had not thought of. And and I might have thought of it, but they gave me different information or taught, helped me to think of it differently. And that was useful. And so that builds confidence. It really does. It does. Well, that was great for them to hear, I'm sure. Now, just for our audience, so you know, with permission um, from Dr. Carl James, we permitted, we reprinted these guidelines on our website, and we did edit them to fit our U.S. school system because they were originally designed for Toronto. So we changed a little bit of wording, but you can find them under the title of if your child is in first or second grade, read this or whatever grade level your child's in. So just search our website um, to find them. They also have them available on their website, which I will put 
in the information box for this podcast. So you can also go directly there if you're in uh, the Toronto or Canada um, area instead of the United States. But I want to thank you, Dr. James, for coming on our show and thank you all for listening to Back Talk by Successful Black Parenting, which is the podcast talk show for parents. And if you missed part of the show, no worries. You can just wait a few minutes and click play for the replay of this podcast. Share it with anyone who needs to hear it and let's get the word out. Our next episode will be tomorrow, Saturday, September 14th at 11 a.m. Pacific Daylight Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. And I will be interviewing Norman Austin. Um, Dr. Carl James talked about math today. And this guy is a math and STEM genius. And he's been featured on TEDx. He teaches black children new ways to overcome their fear of math. And that's definitely me, because if you're a parent like me, I feel like a deer in headlights when there are too many numbers involved and I break out the calculator for sure. So make sure you tune in. You can ask questions live in the chat on Facebook in the comment section. And if your question gets picked, I'll ask it live. So one more thing before we go. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Black Parenting One. You can remember it because we were the first Black Parenting Magazine in print ever. And on Instagram, Black Parenting Magazine, our website, which has lots of good content for you, is SuccessfulBlackParenting.com. We need you to go there and just uh, look at articles that helps with our um, unique visitors and and all of the clicks we need to get advertisers. So be sure to rate this podcast. And until next time, we'll talk soon. Kwahari. Thank you very much for having me. Hey guys, thank you for listening to Back Talk by Successful Black Parenting Magazine. You can help us to level up by supporting this podcast. All you have to do is go to anchor.fm and search for Back Talk by Successful Black Parenting and then hit the button that actually says support this podcast. I want you to go there now. Go, 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 go. And thank you ahead of time. Thanks for tuning in to Back Talk by Successful Black Parenting Magazine. We'll see you soon.